0: You you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway.
1: This is Salt Lake Dirt. I'm your host, Kyler Bingham. Today on the show, I welcome back author Bruce Wagner. If you've listened to our last episode with Bruce, you know that he is one of my favorites of all time. He was kind enough to return to the show, talk about his latest novel, Roar, American Master, the oral biography of Roger Orr. Roar recently came out on Arcade Publishing, and it's really the kind of book that you don't want to end. I know I didn't. It's simply that good. I highly recommend it. I'm going to read a little bit of the, the synopsis of Roar. It says, A new novel by Hollywood's master of satire, the myth of an epic public life, its triumphs and tragedies, is a particularly American obsession. Roar is a metafictional exploration of such a life and attendant fame of an extraordinary and completely made-up man. Born in Nashville in 1940 and adopted by a wealthy San Francisco couple, Roger Orr, Roar, became an underground stand-up comedian with a cult following while still in his teens, segueing to an acclaimed songwriter in the 60s. In the decades that followed, his talent spanned the worlds of entertainment, from film directing and books to fine art. Um, yeah, this book is just epic in proportions. Um, it mixes reality with fiction. You know, Wagner does that in such an amazing way. Um and then this new approach of doing it like an oral biography um just made it so accessible. Um I love it. So uh, let's just jump right into it. Um here is our new interview with Bruce Wagner on Salt Lake Dirt. Thanks for listening. Bruce, thank you so much for returning to the Salt Lake Dirt podcast. Um, You're one of my favorites by far, and you've been so generous with your time and so kind uh, to me and the show. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, this this is wonderful. I am so excited to talk about Roar. Um, I did did get an actual copy. So last time we spoke, I had uh, the ARC. Yeah, Uh, which was marked up. So I'm I'm going. I'm kind of picking through it now. Um, First off, what a beautiful book! Just like like visually, the cover, the pages, uh, the inside cover. Um, you know, could have fooled me. It looks like a real biography, (laughs) right here.
0: That was sort of the idea, and uh, the publisher, um, Tony Lyons and Arcade, went all out. Um, you know, embossed lettering matt cover end pages of a Winslow Homer painting that plays an important part in the book and it was always my my thought um, was to have it as end pages my fantasy I should say because um, it's something that when an author suggests that to a publisher it's you don't hear back from them about <laughs> it, you know? and um, and you know so it is a it's a lovely Book and it's supposed to mirror kind of um, uh, a, a, a an oral history of of Saul Bellow or um, or uh, Norman Mailer or um, Orson Welles. Uh, it, it's it's it looks like a very serious oral history, which it turns out to be. Um, only it's it's a novel told in the form of an oral history.
1: Yeah, so I, I guess we could tell. Um... Our our um, our listeners, what the book you know, just kind of what it's about. It's it's a it's a novel, but it's a it's an oral biography about a man named Roger Orr, also known as Roar. Um, and he, you know, I, I would love to just kind of hear, um, you know, a you tell our listeners like, mm-hmm. about the book uh the man and you know why he he deserved such a yeah. a wonderful oral biography with all these different people In know in a way you mentioned orson wells i was thinking of orson wells um just in the sense that they be they're like these fully formed people as as young young men they come in as powerhouse geniuses um yeah so anyway yeah I, i'd love yeah, to hear um, about it
0: Roger Orr is um someone who becomes a towering uh cultural figure, uh not just in the United States, but in world culture. And he um comes from a very wealthy background, and from early on, um his first success is a bit accidental, inadvertent, as a young stand-up comedian. At the age of fourteen, he later um, becomes a, a, a songwriter, and wrote some of the American standards, a film director of of great repute, an actor, um, and a, a sculptor, uh, a novelist, and a dermatologist. So I was playing a little bit with the kind of. Um, uh, the, the figures that have uh, earned or warranted oral histories um, are usually um, men or women of, uh, of genius. And I was exploring in a way that was um, almost uh, uh, satirical the accomplishments of these people. And, uh, and so that, that's what I did with Roger Orr. But as I was writing it, um, what began as a kind of um, grandiose version of shouts and murmurs, let's say in the New Yorker, uh, or a a Donald Bartholomew kind of short story that was a riff on um, on these on the form of the oral history, um, became a full dressed, full throated novel for me, uh, and. I became captivated, as I hope the reader will be, with his history. As it turns out, he was adopted. Um, he was the child of a, uh, a a black woman and a white man who were revealed late in life. Um, the revelation comes to him late in life. Uh, the His mother became a f- very famous uh, jazz singer um, who... Uh, whose voice was likened to a Billie Holiday or or Bessie Smith. And his father was a uh, member of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, who raped uh, Roar's mother, this is 1940. So the book covers just about 80 years, Roar lived to be 78 years old, and died just before the pandemic. Um, And the book uh, in increments of 15 years at a time, five books, I think, um, covers the waterfront in terms of American culture and world culture, and uh, also mirrors many of the tropes of oral histories, which are rife with scandal, hospitalizations for um, surgical interventions or psychiatric interventions, and, um, and uh, also, uh, there, at one point, Roger Orr is shot by, um, by a fan, and uh, all the awards that he won, the National Book Award, Academy Awards for his work, Grammys for his work, etc. So by the time you come to the end of this book, hopefully you will have uh, gone on a, um, a kaleidoscopic journey alongside Roger Orr, uh, a journey that in many ways reflects a lot of the controversies of our time. Roger Orr also felt that he was um, born in the wrong body and late in life in his late 60s as a trans feminine uh, gender identi- identity identity uh, surgery, and um, then decides to reverse that. So he he's kind of a harbinger of um, a precursor of, of many of the issues that uh, have rocked our our culture and continue to.
1: Right. Oh, can you hear me? Okay, I think we yeah. cut. Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, and I think one thing that I, um, if people read the book, which I encourage people to do, they they will see that um, just how complex of a of a person roar was this was not, um, when he, when he reverses, uh, the, the surgery, it was not like he regretted doing the initial surgery. Um, that's very clear that that comes across. And I think just, uh, I believe I heard you in one of your recent interviews say, um, the nuance, you know, that, that we, that a lot of the culture right now is, is missing. Um, this this has it of, of
0: nuance and roger Orr. uh you know if if there are those who object to this notion of him wanting to reverse uh the surgery uh those will be um of necessity people who have not read the book what happens with roger Orr is he's um always had a spiritual life in fact in the book we bring him to india where he has many realizations, gets very ill, and um, he is a, a student of Buddhism, and the third, the so-called third sex, the one that is outside the two genders, so he does not feel he made a mistake, he feels that he is an, he's somehow ashamed or embarrassed that he wanted to identify with either gender, Uh, I think the way I've described it is a way that it is also described in the book, that many Buddhists say the body is a hotel, many men and women of knowledge say the body is a hotel, and Roger Orr, it becomes clear to him that he's been redecorating the room with a kind of obsessive fervor, and that there is no point to that, to redecorating a room when you are going to be checking out. So he wants to focus toward the end of his life on things that are outside the arena of gender, um, outside the arena of everything. And that, for me, explains why he decides to reverse that decision. He is, um, when he does make that announcement, his, uh, the, the, the LGBTQ community uh, reacts with uh venom and that angers him so he actually doesn't reverse the bottom surgery but lets them think he has he's a contrarian <laughs> he's um he's uh always someone that is an outsider um and so that's his his kind of um fuck you if i may use those words yes. on your- yes. please do <laughs> that's, his, that's his fuck you to those that that are, uh, do not,
1: uh, share the, the concept of nuance. Yeah. I think, um, well, one thing that I've been enjoying doing so with my, with my new copy of it, I, I t- I've been taking it to work and I leave it, um, with the, the back up on my desk. So I have a lot of people interacting with me throughout the day. Um, I'm a high school teacher. So a lot of teenagers, uh, coworkers are coming by and, I am I just love seeing their response when they kind of skim through and see who has done a, a blurb on roar and they, they they the look on their face is amazing because no matter how old or young they are they definitely recognize a few of these and they're they're amazed by it and it takes them a minute and some people not they don't even I just let them go on with it they don't recognize what the what it says <laughs> And how everyone is saying the exact same thing. So we have James Baldwin, Kim Kardashian, Oprah, Sharon Tate. That's what raised a few eyebrows. And just the, it was so satisfying (laughs) seeing all these age groups from 15 years up to, you know, late 60s react to this back cover. It's wonderful. Let
0: let me kind of um, (laughs) uh,
1: talk about that a bit. But first I want to backtrack.
0: We were talking about how the book resembles a... A bona fide, uh, serious oral history. And I won't say who this person is, but they are featured in the book. And none of the people that are featured in the book, I have many non fictional people, uh, real people, in other words. um, I never consulted any of them uh, and said, I'm going to put you in this book. Are you all right with that? I didn't need to because. it was all done with great affection, and that was done because I wanted uh, the book to have um, a real cohesion to it in terms of the tapestry of voices: uh, fictional family members, fictional friends, real friends, real critics, fictional critics. Um, so the, the the book becomes a kind of um, melting pot that hopefully. Uh, what emerges from that is something that is a facsimile of reality, uh, at least the experience that we have when we read a book like this. My publisher was asking me about blurbs for the book. Um, it's part of what publishers do. They want um, a book that they publish to be heralded and um, and trumpeted by those who the public knows. And I, my idea was to have fictional um blurbs uh which which is absolutely taboo in the world of publishing and of course the it's something the the lawyers in their sleep say no to they don't even have to be conscious it's just it's that much of a a taboo that uh it's it's just um instinctive it's reflexive their nose <laughs> and I, I i kind of legally uh solve the problem at least in my mind of having fictional blurbs by each person says the same thing um i, I i'm i'm quote I, i'm paraphrasing it but it roar reads like a messy magisterial novel which it is something right. like that yeah and so each one says the same thing <laughs> so the argument would be that any reasonable uh reader uh, shopping for this book would be puzzled that 12 people could say the exact same thing of course they still said no so <laughs> i i added some people that were uh dead uh and many people don't know who james baldwin is and don't know whether he's uh, dead alive or 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 a fictional character sharon tate was uh is someone that most people would know is real and is dead so um uh my my publisher is also an attorney and he got advice for and against and he went with the for uh the the let's do it approach. Um so I'm uh, it's another thing that I like. And then the uh the photo credit for myself is also a fictional photo credit. It's Arthur Fellig who was Ouija. Uh and of course, yeah, that's an impossible thing because <laughs> Ouija died many many years ago so the book is a construct but it's not a parody um i wanted to avoid the idea of writing a, a book that, that could be called a parody of the form that would be uh, a diminishment for me of the gravitas of of the book and the story that i was telling
1: that's wonderful that, that kind of leads me into a question i did want to ask you about uh so we have all that we have these uh, fic- Titious characters, real people. It becomes very real as you become immersed in the biography. Um, it, it's compiled, edited by you. Mm-hmm. You appear in the book at different points. Um, Roger Orr uh, takes an interest in your um, y- your monologue, your novella, the empty chair, mm-hmm. and and uh, you become involved in that. So uh, it, it is it, it's so immersive, and I, I I'm just curious. Um, writing in in that fashion, where you include yourself and you have certain people, where they they, they say your name, they mention you, like Bruce, you wouldn't believe this, yeah, well, uh, things like it, that.
0: Yeah, it, it's 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 meta time, meta squared, I should say, <laughs> because the Empty Chair was was really my first long um, indulgence in this particular form. The Empty Chair uh, are two novellas that are interlinked and those novellas are essentially two very long monologues of people that i am interviewing so in in the empty chair occasionally very occasionally one of those characters would call me by name um so that was something that that um that was an experiment for me um perhaps more than an experiment um because it came so naturally to me um and in in this book, I am a character much more of a character than I was in the empty chair. Um, I I think that I was captivated by. I've always been captivated by the form of oral history. It's so accessible and so reader friendly, and as a writer, it also eliminates the the ligaments, the musculature, the architecture that's required when writing a tradition, a more traditional novel. In other words um i don't have to talk about setting the computer up to have a a zoom call with kyler bingham i don't have to say that kyler bingham has a beard um, (laughs) messy but magisterial (laughs) i don't have to describe my own mood um what you were wearing what i am wearing um what i did the morning of of this podcast etc and that gives one tremendous freedom, when all you are left with is the chorus uh, of demonic uh, human voices, and those demonic voices, with their vernacular, um, are majestic, and and break through occasionally into the transcendent. Uh, you know, when you read an oral history, and you read, let's say long remarks by Meryl Streep or people that you imagine uh, you you know because they've been in your consciousness for so long. There's really a, a universal uh, language. There's a kind of baseline for human beings when they are in conversation, when they are being interviewed. Um, it, it's quite different from uh, a poetic expression. Although the the poetry of the vernacular is very real, there's no artifice to it. So, if you're if you're having a conversation with, um, with uh, a writer, uh, a well-known one, someone like Salman Rushdie, and and someone that is illiterate in the next paragraph there will still be great common ground between those two people. Um, So I I didn't thoroughly research how people would sound. There are uh, um, many uh, times, for example, there's a long review by Toni Morrison in the New York times of a book that Roar wrote called the jungle book. And I, I, I channeled her, what I imagined to be her voice but uh, I didn't do that much meticulous research into it. Stephen Fry, who did uh, a voice in the voices in the audiobook, we have done an audiobook of this, which I think will be available soon. Stephen Fry called it personation rather than impersonation. And I, I thought that was a lovely way of putting it. Uh, we had, uh, I think we had 20 over 20 actors. Reading more than 400 voices. Um, And Stephen Fry did himself and many others in the book, all of whom uh, he seemed to know. He knew the painter Francis Bacon. He knew Picasso's uh, biographer, or the man who's mostly known as Picasso's biographer, John Richardson. Um, He knew, he knows Eddie Azard and did all of those voices, Gore Vidal as well, whom he knew. Um, We had Wally Shawn. Uh, do himself. And Debbie Eisenberg, his wife, the wonderful writer, in fact, uh, read the Toni Morrison review for the New York Times uh, of of Roger's book. We had Griffin Dunn read himself, Beverly D'Angelo read herself. We had Graydon Carter uh, read himself. So it it was a very complex um, project. And uh, I wanted to mention it, not just because I think it's um, going to be a value for people that are are less, perhaps less liable to pick up a book and read a book. But I also wanted to stress that they are two completely different animals. Hmm. Um, I think it's easier to say of certain novels that the, the audio book of the novel is Hughes close to the book. These are two completely different experiences. Um, uh, for me, the the, the audio book does not have the the nuance or the sophistication of the physical book, and yet the physical book certainly doesn't have the warmth, the humanity, the unexpectedness of the uh, of the of the audio book either. Um, but I had uh, we had Mark marin read Roger Orr. Uh, and, Mark, that was interesting for me because I also had an idea of what people would sound like. Mm. And Stephen Fry sounds exactly like Tom Stopper. He sounds exactly like Gore Vidal. But I had um, the the marvelous and brilliant um, actress and comedian Kate Berlant read Caitlyn Jenner. Mm. And she was not uh, impersonating Caitlyn Jenner. She was personating as Stephen Pry said, and uh, I, Mark Maron, brought a kind of street poet uh, um, contribution to that of Roger Orr. In my head, I was thinking that Roger Orr would sound like an Americanized uh, Anthony Hopkins. So I that that startled me, and I was very pleased with it. But the the book lends itself um, to uh, to audio because. I have many, uh, there's, there's whole sections where Roger Orr is on The Tonight Show um, being interviewed, uh, the David Letterman show. Um, he's being interviewed by um, Jim Jarmusch, the film director. He has a dialogue with Steven Spielberg. Um, he's, uh, you know, th- th- there's many aspects of the book that lend themselves to to the human voice, including uh, sections of screenplays that he's written, diaries that he's written, and
1: and of course many reviews of his work. Well, I'm I'm really eager to, li- to listen to it. I can't wait um, when it comes out. I'm getting I'm getting a copy right away. And I'm a huge Marin fan. Here, so that's I'm really excited to hear that. Uh, I know you had that event at the Beverly Hills Library the week the book came out. I, I would love to hear about. I I really wanted to make it to that. I wasn't able to. I'd love to hear how that went. Some of the different people read um, yes. their their parts. So I, I'm just really excited to hear about how the event itself um, how it went down.
0: Yeah, it was it was um, moderated by Sam Watson, the wonderful um, uh, film historian uh who's written um he's very prolific he's written books on um improvisation breakfast at tiffany's um he he wrote the book about bob fossey that the uh the award-winning television show was based on he's um just got a book out now with janine um berlinger called uh, an oral it's, it's essentially, it's an oral history of Hollywood mm-hmm. and it's compiled and edited
1: by Sam Wasson and Janine Berlinger. Um, I got my, it last week. It's so far, he's yeah. going to be on the show next month. It's, it's incredible. Oh, it's lovely. wonderful. So
0: he, he, my book of course is compiled and edited by Bruce Wagner and my, my former publisher, David Rosenthal, who published me, um, everything from I'm losing you on uh, all of my books, uh, except for the Marvel universe and this one um, under the imprint that he had called blue rider. He's just worked on uh, the Paul Newman memoir. Hmm. Uh, And, and on the cover of that, it says compiled and edited by David Rosenthal. So there's an odd, um, (laughs) something cosmic is going on that really challenges this idea of fiction versus nonfiction. One of the things I've talked about it, and I don't mind repeating it again and again, is I, I'm very much not influenced by, but, but but brutally and viscerally touched by a Russian writer named Svetlana Aleksevich who has written uh, oral histories about her country. And she won the Nobel Prize for literature a few years ago. And she, she writes nonfiction. So that dream-like aspect uh, of the merging of the dream, um, the illusion of what is real and what is not real, is uh, so compelling to me. Um, and so th- with, with, with uh, her work, uh, her work is, for me, uh, stands as towering literature, uh, and and yet uh, technically, um, it is uh, nonfiction. It is oral history, but at what point do does uh, does anything become literature? So when I say literature, really, it's another word for art, and what is art? Art is something that um, that fills us with a kind of inchoate uh, feeling, a, a sense of beauty and transcendence, that whatever we are um, involved in, our petty concerns, uh, the things that are outside of art are so negligible. and. Uh, so that's what art does. And art inspires one to live and to create. That's another, um, for me, uh, something axiomatic about true art. You know, um, not everything is, is in that category. In fact, most of what man creates is a yearning, um, but it doesn't qualify as, as art. You know, art is unconscious and, and involves the erasure of self. Um, and that's another thing that that this book uh, technically allowed me to do is the author was erased. So the book is a compendium of voices, all of which the author created. And yet in the end it was very important for me to say compiled and edited by by Bruce Wagner, personated and channeled by Bruce Wagner. And what happens to Bruce Wagner? He he vanishes, and that was very helpful for me because when one is writing a book, the self and vanity um, and the needs of self creep in and uh, want control. The the more one loses control, or or I should say, abdicates control and relies on one's um, craft, the muscle
1: memory of of one's craft, the better off the author is. Yeah, there's a, there's a line uh, near the end of the book. I'm just going to read it, if you don't mind. It's, um, it, it's, it's probably my favorite in the book. It, re- it reminded me, um, in many ways, of the themes that you know you explore. It's just a beautiful little chunk. It says, Roar felt the same way about the art he created. He knew that eventually it would bloat, stink, bleach, detach, then disappear. The facts of it never trampled or negated his joy, his vigor, and love for life wonderful Mm -hmm. thank you for citing that and that comes off
0: um i think robert thurman is talking about uh death and um the graveyard meditations that buddhists have uh have favored um where one contemplates the body the hotel being demolished crumbling etc and the stages of of physical death um and i think it's 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 quite accurate this idea of legacy for a writer what will be left there will be nothing left and uh all else is it, 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 it's an illusion um so that's uh something that that uh, i i was writing that was an essential truth
1: yeah, it's I, I love that. Um, I'd love to hear about the re- the revising process. I know um, you, you wrote this book in, in like a fever. It sounds like uh, a roughly four months from what I hear. Um, revising it, what what was that like? Um, we've talked about your process before, and I, I'm really curious about the the revision process of something of this magnitude. It's a nightmare. <laughs> No, it, it's really one of the most
0: agonizing things, but I think it's it's really for all novels and novelists. For me, um, you know, this the arcade, this is the first book I published with them. I'm, I'm going to do another one with them. And I warned the editor. I said, my modus operandi is I turn in a book prematurely because I turn that book in when I feel it's all there. And that doesn't mean it's even necessarily rough, although I I will use that word. Um, but when I turn a book in prematurely, um, in quotes, it doesn't mean that that the final book will have a hundred pages more or a hundred pages less, or even five pages more or five pages less. It will be about the same length and there will be nothing removed from it of any note in terms of of narrative what i what i do is i make i would say tens of thousands of small changes and that's not an exaggeration the first time i turned the book in with revisions the editor um sent me a note a few days later saying that her computer froze at thirty-seven hundred changes, and is this can't be right? That's what she wrote <laughs> in her. And then is it with a question mark? <laughs> so that goes on and on and on. You know, there's probably five passes that you make after you turn in that first draft, and it goes through um, what they used. To, it goes through what they used to call um, manuscript uh, changes. Um, even though there's there's no physical manuscript any longer and then it goes um, the deeper you get into changes the more costly it becomes to make changes um but it it went to the very end for me um these thousands of changes that i spoke of and to this day you know it's it's the the horror of any writer <clears throat> i just looked at the the um prologue of of the 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 editor's note and found something egregious that i that that no one else would pick up on so it never stops there's always going to be errors the the book is published with errors um i've i've really very infrequently spoken to a writer who has not had um uh, a slew of typos in that final book because in the end <clears throat> it's really up to me uh, you can have fresh eyes look at it but you can't have endless fresh eyes look at it so your, your dead numb eye becomes the freshest eye simply because you're, you've been so compulsive about going over what, what has been written so you finally get to a point where you have
1: to let it go you have to let it go i had to let it go <laughs> um again i'm just i'm just so excited that this this book found um the home that it did at at sky Skyhor- horse arcade uh it, it it is funny i mean we we talked about uh, the marvel universe last time you were on the show but it, it is interesting like the distribution is uh it, it's is it this is Simon and Schuster on both, yes. both ends. So that is, that's, uh, that's great. And then, so the, this new book, we don't really need to talk about it, but, um, I heard you mention a little bit on the Brett Easton Ellis podcast just this week. Hmm. And so, uh, that's with the same, that's with Skyhorse as well. Correct. Well,
0: you know, the,
1: let's see, let's just go back for a moment
0: because, um, The marvel universe i i had a a book deal and um that was essentially uh i was uh censured and and uh, while the, the the contract was not um torn up by the the publishing house it was it was certainly um impossible for me to write that book and uh The cancel-speak, the word is problematic. The language is problematic. Imagine saying that to a writer. Um, The language is problematic. It would be funny if it wasn't so chilling. And that was why I released the Marvel Universe uh, into the public domain. I didn't want to sell it. And um, I, I... it was very liberating for me. And as it turns out, that will be the, the one book that I've written that will never go out of print. Um, but with, with Roger Orr, I was talking a little bit with Brett about this. There was uh, a very strong interest on the East Coast, one of the, the big publishing houses, to publish this book. But when it went up the chain, that same uh, word uh, was used, problematic problematic that i am a 68 year old uh white male writing um cisgender male writing about a biracial trans feminine um entity Mm -hmm. uh this was problematic so um tony lyons um has a uh uh for me is is controversial um but only because he's a free speech absolutist um arcade is a a storied publishing house uh now an imprint of sky but an independent uh, um, imprint and uh i think that tony is trying to restore the the luster that arcade had at one time as a literary house. Um, so uh, they have uh, recently published the uh, Blake Bailey biography of Philip Roth that was pulped. Um, they published Woody Allen's uh, book and uh, they are um, very literary minded. And Tony is fearless. Um, he, he's, I think, perhaps the only um publisher in America now who publishes on his scale, um, hundreds of book, books a year that really takes all comers and um, values the literary, values the controversial um, and also values the fly fisherman, which uh, the, the, the publishing house was really built on fly fishing books that his father, Wanted to publish because his father was an avid um, fisherman. So I'm I'm very fortunate uh, to be able to publish because what would the alternative be? It would be the the um, the death of of my books. I I would be truly writing posthumously, um, more so than I am now in that. My books would uh, would not be published at all, or I would have to self-publish them, wow. or wait for someone uh, who was not aligned with any of the the major houses or minor houses to to do boutique versions of my books. So now I I, I I'm, I'm have a forum, and um and I can write whatever I wish. I don't have to concern myself with um with the the uh the mood or the trends or the uh sociopathic desires of the of the time Mm -hmm. um because the this this time too shall pass you know the pendulum is always swinging sometimes it swings slowly sometimes uh it's it 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 really um Swings quickly, so I have uh, no crystal ball, nor nor do I have that desire. But it's all folly. The the idea of what is um, not acceptable now um, um, becomes acceptable in three years, or twenty years, or in a hundred years. Um, so I'm I'm very uh, uh, grateful to to have a house arcade and a, a publisher Tony Lyons, who is fierce. Um, and is a a, a a a light in the forest and now um, uh, a a home with a with a, a
1: a hearth in the forest it makes me think of um i, I ordered a copy from book soup Um the the signed copy and it's uh, you you signed it uh t- for you in like a lion out like a lion so that made me think of so many people y- yourself uh tony lions just the people involved in in putting stuff out like this it's so it is so refreshing as a reader um as a fan to uh, you know especially with what happened how disheartening the situation with uh the the marvel universe uh but it all—it's—it's it's incredible how things work out. Um, like so many people have been drawn to that book, the Marvel Universe. It's like a magnet for yeah. um, incredible thinkers. Uh, you know, Father John Misty posted about it. It's a—it's uh, incredible. So it's so exciting.
0: Yeah, the—I should say that um, that that book soup copy you bought was Sam Wasson started a, a publishing house called Felix Farmer. So Sam did a a uh, uh, a limited run, beautiful little book. um Because if you go on Amazon, you can get it as well. But it's from a uh, publisher that that is a kind of a vulture publisher. They specialize in in uh, instantly publishing books that are in the public domain. So hey, whether it's Nathaniel Hawthorne, Thucydides, or Bruce Wagner, that's it's all, all <laughs> good, good, good for me. But uh, you know, in like a lion, out like a lion. Really, for me, was very much Roger Orr. There's a, a very small um, section in the book that talks about um, God. I'm I'm going to confuse who it is. It's either maybe it's Eartha Kitt, um, maybe it's Lena Horn. I can't remember, but it's a true story of that singer's mother. I mean, that singer. That 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 singer's sister told that when let's say it's Eartha Kit, when Eartha Kit died, she died screaming. And I've I've actually known uh, some people that uh, that I've heard the same of. Um, and there's something so enraptured me about that. To you come in with a scream and to leave with a scream, because this image we have uh, is often of we're at peace you know it's all a complete fantasy you die surrounded by family you know you don't die upside down in a trapped in a a cave like a famous spellunker did years ago and you're upside down for 27 hours with one hand stuck under your stomach one in the small of your back we 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 die suddenly we die by violence we die by our own hand. Um, but the prevailing Western fantasy is that we die uh, with all loose ends tied up, surrounded by family. You know, Well, that may happen. Some people have an easier death than others, for sure. Um, but for me, to go out with a scream, there was something magnificent about it. So I I have mostly signed that book in like a lion, out like a lion. You know, it's certainly
1: how uh, uh, how I'd like to go. I love it. I love that. Uh, another thing. So, just, just commenting again about the beauty of the book. Um, I the the Winslow Homer painting. I was not had not been familiar with before. So it's called a Summer Night, um, eighteen ninety. It's in the the inside. Um, the inside cover of the book it's mentioned in the book um i was just looking at you know versions of it on online just to see you know the magnitude of it uh why that painting where where what brought you to that uh piece of I've, art i've loved that painting
0: for a long time it's almost like um a painting that could go uh be science fiction art there's something very mystical about it it's um it's a couple or two women it's always seemed to me um in a dance uh in front of a um, a raging sea high on a promontory with uh, a group of dark figures watching them and there was always something very mystical and calming for me about that because it 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 reinforced the epiphany of of that that painting is it reinforces the tender insignificance um, of all of us who are living, walking, breathing on this planet and it indicates or or points the way through a kind of um, intent and great artistry where we may be going after we do our dance here and it's, it's referenced in the book. And one thing I did add late late in the game in terms of the preparing the book to be published. This Winslow Homer painting was owned by Roger Orr's parents. And Laughlin Orr, his sister, is talking about it. And at one point she says that they sold it. And she regrets that terribly. But she says you should put that you should put the painting somewhere in the book, Bruce. So there it is in the end pages. You know, <laughs> that didn't occur to me to do till much later in the game. But if you take a, a deep dive into that that book, I mean that that painting, the summer night, it, it turns out to be um, I mean, it was a painting I, I latched onto when I was quite young. It turns out to be one of his um, more famous paintings and was no one was interested in it uh in america uh no one wanted to buy it and then uh there was an exhibition in france that showed the painting and the painting became kind of a cause celebre but not for years until it was shown at an exhibition in france um so there's a lot about that um particular painting that makes words um unnecessary Mm -hmm. and that's what i loved about it 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 became part of the the book the the non-verbal part of the book It, it creates such a mystical feeling and and such a mood and i love the idea of grafting that onto a book which is um which is in which words are so essential and unapologetically important um, that that you y- you have this painting, which reminds us of the the fundamental um, inexpressibility of uh, of our human experience. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, just um, it it all just ties together. Like it, it's just it's incredible. I don't know how you do it. It's every, every, every book that I've read, that I read, I've read all of your books now and I'm just, I'm blown away. They're, um, the they're ones I revisit too over the years because, um, you had commented, I think on one of the recent interviews again, how, you know, and I totally related to this. When you read a book, it, it goes away after a certain time, even like, you know, it can't immediately for me, you know, so you have yeah. little, little memories. So with your work, um, some of it overlaps, it blends together. And especially when you have characters that appear in several, <laughs> several of the books, it really does that, which I, I love that it's a, it's a body of work that I, I revisit, all the time, and will do for you know as as long as I live. I'm confident it's just a and at different points in my life, I read something in your work, and it resonates in a different way. uh So it it is just an incredible thing it, where a book you read it, you love it, it goes away, it has like a, a it leaves a feeling with you, a memory that is you know distorted because our our you know the way we remember things, it's it's not as it was. Uh, yeah, just you—you're one of my favorites. I—I I, I can't praise,
0: th- praise, praise Jesus. <laughs> you, you would ask me. Um, you would ask me about my next book, yes, uh, or book, and I'm—you know—I'm—I—I I do want to do uh, write a book called the Met Ball, um, which I'm—I'm I'm still wrestling with this idea of whether that should be an oral history or not, and I'm very much want to do a book of ghost stories Hollywood ghost stories um I'd love that that would be great <laughs> you know, that, that really are my um homage to love Luf- the great Lafcadio Hearn and the the the, the ghost stories uh, of his that are are so um so discombobulating and and mystical and and terrifying and, and yet have this great beauty to them i I'd, I'd love to do the same um and and, and uh, have the the book putatively um be about hollywood you know mm-hmm. as all my books seem to be one way or another I, I can't get away from it um you know i talk with sam wasson about this and we seem to be such creatures of hollywood you know um, it's it's really woven into our DNA, you know. Um, so I'm 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 excited. I should say more. I mean, what a what a strange time we're in. Where an author, um, ra- it, 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 rather than being um, angry that whatever he writes will be um, either censored. Uh, or he he will become impotent um and and whatever he writes will will not see publication. Uh, and the other side of that is the author that is excited that in the the let's say the last quarter of his life, although I would be excited if it was the first um, quarter of, of the game that his work will be, published and not that not so much published but acknowledged and and uncensored you know because that's for the writer to be censored is like the caver being wedged upside down and there's no escape from that from being silenced so there there's that aspect of um you know is it prisoner without a, a, a number, cell without a name, or prisoner without a name, cell without a number, there's that aspect of erasure that any working writers um, ex- are experiencing now more than ever with um, people who have no business uh, reading uh, uh, one's work and passing judgment on its acceptability um for publication um being in positions of power like petty bureaucrats you know uh and subject uh to only to the the vagaries and whims of the passing fancy you know so that's for me is the thing that excites me most that that um that i i can uh, express in the ultimate uh, extreme
1: way I can use my voice you know that's great that's yeah that, what, what more can you ask for that's uh, it's incredible and I, I'm just again so um, such an admirer of your work I can't wait for the audiobook that sounds like a real treat like I, I the amount of work that went I can't even imagine it just sounds such like, what an undertaking but I can't wait to listen to it. Um, it, it was a horror but it was <laughs> it
0: was a divine horror and, uh, and i have heard some of it and it's it's rather astonishing so i i do encourage people to to listen to it excellent
1: and i encourage people to um there's a there's an instagram and a and a tiktok um that i believe the publisher is they put out videos videos of you talking about the book if they want to uh get more of a taste before they they actually pick up the book there's some there's some great uh, short videos of you discussing the book that i've i've found very um interesting and entertaining thank
0: you it was uh, you know it's not, not something i i would have thought to do but they've been so wonderful um to me that i i want I
1: wanted to do and still want to do anything that would help the cause. Yeah. I've had, I've had a lot of people just from, from my, you know, reposting, they've like, they hadn't heard of you before and now they're interested now they're jumping in into the, the Marvel universe. So um, I'll say it again. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. <laughs> Bruce, thank you so much. Thank you, Kyler. I'm, I'm
0: appreciative of your, um, of your continued interest in your your passion and um be well and i'll talk to you again soon absolutely thanks
1: bruce this is this is fun thank you okay take care